Let's bring in Kurt Nelson to talk commodities. He's the founding partner and CEO of Summerhaven. Kurt, good to have you here. I want to begin with the Fed and their ability, uh, inability, I should say, to provide forward guidance, a reflection of the murky waters they're being forced to navigate and the fluid situation that they've been faced with. Absolutely. I mean, we're all dealing with that. It's the, the future is uncertain. <laughs> and I think the Fed, I guess, to their credit, they, you know, they're, they're a really steady hand who's being deliberate. They're trying to provide as much guidance as they can. I think, I think uh, Chair Powell came in as expected. He came in with a 75 basis point hike, which is really high, you know, on historical standards. Um, and yet the market uh, in financials rallied off of that news because he had some other good news to share, which is that, you know, they probably have better information and more timely information than than anyone in the world about the state of the economy. And they provided reassurance that things are you know tight and but they're they're not terrible. And so, you know, the 75 basis point here was uh, was warranted. Um, I think he messaged that we're not going to you know, have another rate hike until September. It may be 75 basis points, and he's going to rely on facts and data to guide that decision. But I think investors largely took that as reassuring that, uh, first of all, the Fed, is, you know, are the grownups in the room, and they're going to do the right thing. And, you know, things are softening, but they're not terrible. Um, I think that was reassuring to investors. He sure seemed to leave the door open and, and kind of checked all the boxes as far as what I was hearing. This is a look at the move up off the lows from earlier this week, around 39.13. So we're talking about another 100 points to the upside here, adding to the gains that we've seen off the June lows again, which were all the way down around 36.39. I think that's significant and no noteworthy. Uh, talk to me, Kurt, because uh, it looks like that deal that uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Joe Manchin yesterday announced uh, an energy and a health care bill. You think this is a big deal? I think it's a, a huge deal, in fact, Ben. Um, it was a shock when I saw it kind of flash across my phone yesterday evening. I think for you um, and many. I, th I thought the deal was dead. I mean, Joe Manchin is a man of principle. Yeah. He's a Democrat, but he's in a red state. And I thought that the opportunity for compromise with the other, you know, Democrats in the Senate and the House was over. So I thought this was a, a, a bit of a game changer that they uh, came to a deal. And I don't think that Schumer and Manchin can afford to announce something like this and not follow through. If you, you know, it's too big a deal. So if they're willing to go public and say that we actually have a deal, I think it's going to happen. That's that was one of my takeaways last night. But I got a chance to dive into some of the details, uh, information that the Senate is sharing about what this means. And another reason I think it's a huge deal is that it's three hundred seventy billion dollars, mm -hmm. and it's all focused on things that I believe are going to create demand for commodities. Okay. Um, there's, uh, you know, when you think about, I think in, in the, some of the fiscal stimulus and, and deals that, that um, President Biden and, and Congress were able to do as a result of COVID, there was you know, trillions of dollars spent, but not a lot of it was spent directly into things that would impact commodities and commodity futures. I think there was maybe six or $10 billion for charging stations, but that's a drop in the bucket. I mean, we've got 175,000 gasoline stations across the country. You cannot electrify our transportation economy with that kind of, uh, with that kind of figure. $370 billion is a lot of money. That's a you know, third of a trillion dollars. Um, in reading through this bill, What's proposed right now, what we know, there's going to be subsidies to help 
lower income families uh, deal with inflation and higher electricity costs, but higher energy costs in gas and oil. So you're essentially saying prices are high. We, we know that's going to be painful for you. We're going to try to artificially make those cheaper by, by providing you, um, you know, in, uh, basically a cushion to, to keep your demand current and artificially lower your price. That means that demand is going to stay robust in a lot of these carbon fuels that we're used to burning for the last you know, 50 years. More important, I think, is that there seems to be a gift for everybody in this renewable energy you know, trans transition transformation. There are subsidies uh, for consumers to buy electric vehicles, 5,000 for a used vehicle, 7,500 for a new vehicle. There's going to be um, a payout to car companies to help in building out manufacturing of electric vehicles. Um, and then when the bill is also targeted towards this, you know, climate change and the need to electrify um, our economy and do that through clean energy sources. So there's going to be large multi-billion dollar payouts to grow solar, wind. Um, there's going to be electric grid enhancements. Um, I, I think it's sort of a gift for everyone. But when I read it as a commodity trader, commodity investment manager, I could see that this was largely all demand boosting, particularly in the metal space, because um, if you're building an electric car, you need a lot of aluminum, a lot of copper. Um, if, if you're enhancing the grid and developing new solar wind farms, you have to um, develop develop a way to connect to the grid and create, you know, the very expensive, large projects that are metals uh, intensive. And another thing that kind of struck me as I was reading it is there's a, a payout to um, industry to make traditional carbon based electric generation more fuel or more uh, sort of uh, environmentally friendly and, and less carbon intensive. Tip in my mind, what I read is that we're going to be trying to continue to, you know, generate energy through coal, through oil, through gas, but we're going to try to clean it up. And largely that creates demand for the platinum palladium group metals. Mm. Um, I think that uh, we're used to thinking of, you know, platinum in the, in the precious metals category, uh, but it's very, very different from gold. Gold is really a store of wealth and an alternate currency. Platinum is largely industrial. It's about 70% or two thirds of all platinum is consumed each year for things like catalytic converters and 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 cleaner um, uh, smokestacks in power generation and so on. So I think this is um, a, a quite huge deal given its scale and the fact that it's uh, you know increasing demand along the production side and even increasing demand potentially along the consumer side. You know, we also saw uh, yesterday as well, the Senate passed a separate bill to invest $52 billion in U.S. manufacturing of semiconductors. So some progress. And I agree with you in terms of the magnitude, the scale thereof. And we're seeing a reaction too, right? Crude oil is inching its way back up to the $100 a barrel level. But ultimately, on the other side of that, uh, you know, you have uh, some concerns in terms of COVID in Asia. And, you know, when we see crude kind of back down to 90, I've been kind of talking about how that's normally something to cheer on. But it's tied to some of the concerns in terms a recession, economic slowdown ultimately is where. Where do you stand in terms of that, Kurt? Yesterday, uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell seemed to kind of walk back some of those concerns. He, he did. I think what he gave was good news for the American economy that that things are getting tighter, but they're not they're they're not as bad perhaps as people were forecasting. If you think about the first five months of this year, Ben, we saw 
commodities rally 30 plus percent on a diversified basis. And we saw stocks and bonds and real estate and all traditional financial assets that you'd use to diversify all went down. I mean, we looked at something like 40 to 45 years of data and normally stocks and bonds both go up together. They diversify. So sometimes stocks might be down, but bonds are up and vice versa. Having stocks and bonds showing you know, decent weakness at the same time is we only have one data point in the last 40 to 45 years. And that was the first six months of 22. Um, so you had this great commodity strength, weak financial asset performance. That all switched uh, very rapidly in, in kind of early June to where we are today. So in the last couple of months, we saw oil come down from 130 to into the 90s. Um, and yet we saw resilience in financial assets like stocks and bonds. I thought that was a bit schizophrenic because the story, the narrative behind the commodity sell-off was that uh, we're, we're heading into a, a, a long-term rate tightening cycle. We're going to see recessions. We're going to see unemployment go back up. And that's going to weaken demand for raw materials and for commodities. Um, and part of that was kind of the old story of, well, China kind of drives that bus. I think that's a little tired. I think that China is important, but they're not the whole story. Um, but while commodities were being sold off, we saw financials um, kind of stabilize. And so uh, I think that this, this narrative of we're going to have a recession, so commodities sold off, did not gel very well with the story of, oh, the Fed's going to manage inflation and it's all going to be okay. And so financial assets that are very tied to rates, to the credit cycle, to GDP, um, are all going to be okay. I don't think they could both be correct. Um, I think the stabilization that we've seen and in increased prices and in commodities over the last week or so makes sense. I think that the, the stocks and bonds are off, they're trading a bit on sentiment. Um, they're near and dear to every investor's heart. They want them to do well. They don't want to have to reallocate and think about where else to hide if, in fact, we're going to have inflation or stagflation. I think commodities, I think, are trading on fact. And, um, and the supplies are relatively tight versus demand. Um, you know, with this new organic demand that will be generated from this, this bill, if it passes the Senate and the House and is signed by Biden, which I think is higher than 50-50, that's going to create new organic demand across you know, the span of industrial metals. And there's been a report that just one or two weeks ago, the ELMI inventories of metals are at a 100-year low uh, across their kind of reporting warehouses um, that are all sanctioned and, and approved by the, the London Metals Exchange. That's, that's a big deal. It means that you've got relatively tight supply still, um, some difficult supply chain issues, and expanding demand for those things that are in, in short supply right now. And that's a very long-term trend. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that I'd say is exciting about that, Ben, is that you know, demand for food is not going to go away. Whether prices are high or low or whether we're in a recession, uh, people are going to continue to eat, whether it's wheat, soybeans, corn. Um, in this energy transition, I think whether we're going to have uh, no recession, a light recession, or something that's deeper and maybe stagflation, we are going to transition our economies towards renewable energy, towards electric vehicles. So they, I think there's a built-in persistent long-run demand uh, for many of these metals that that uh, trade in futures. Uh, and I, th I think the future looks bright for them.
You know, Kurt, I like the step away from uh, kind of that tick-for-tick tick sort of intraday or, you know, sort of a, a high-frequency discussion that we have in terms of commodities. A bit of a bigger-picture discussion here with Kurt uh, uh, Nelson. Always a pleasure to have you on, Kurt. Kurt's founder, partner, CEO of Summerhaven.